From the world of AV programming and control with James King, I'm Steve Greenblatt, and this is Ask the Programmer. Hey, James, how are you today? Boy, this is going to be a special episode. I'm doing great, and this is definitely going to be a special episode, and I look forward to it. It's going to be a special episode because this is also an episode of the IT Factor. We're doing an amazing crossover, the greatest crossover since the Avengers movie. This is just going to be fantastic. Uh, yeah, we're so you know James and I uh, and Steve, we we had a call. So if you please check out episode one where we kind of set the stage for this. Uh, you know, search for Ask the Programmer. I'm sure you know Stephen and James can give you all the details for that. But uh, I just, we just so we were thinking, wouldn't it be great if these amazing individuals can also talk to the audience of IT Factor? And they said yes, and we just went with it. And that voice you're hearing is Frank Patakala. Uh, so in case uh, for the uh, Ask the Programmer audience, but yeah, this is going to be a first time for us and really looking forward to it. I've been on uh, the IT Factor before and, and Frank's an amazing host and talks about some real valuable hardy topics. So take it away, Frank. Thank you. Uh, let's start off with some introductions. I mean, come on, people don't need introductions for James King and Steve Greenblatt, right? But let's just do it because I, I like to have it on record that I gave you an opportunity to introduce yourself. Steve, why don't you introduce yourself? So thank you for that. Um, um, I have uh, had a storied history in uh, the AV industry for going on 30 years now, believe it or not. Uh, and it's uh, something that I'm really proud of because I really have found a home here. And, and uh, I started off working for a manufacturer um, in the control space. And, and uh, after a short stint of three and a half years, I ventured on and started a business. And who knew that 25 years later, I'd still be doing what I'm doing but it's taken its twists and turns. And we're a software development company, Control Concepts. Uh, we have 11 people on our team and, and really specialize in API integration. Um, but it's uh, th this is the industry where I'm gonna be for as long as I'll be working. And I really have a lot of uh, pride and pleasure and a lot of friends in, in this industry. And, and um, I, I would recommend it to anyone. And uh, I have really, uh, moved my focus from programming to business, but I, I still enjoy the technology and my, my, my heart is in it. Um, it my passion ha has now become business, but I thank you for uh, giving me that time, Frank. Thank you, Steve. Uh, James. Uh, thank you. Uh, but really, I, I came from IT world. I was in, I wanted to be a network administrator. That's actually what I wanted to uh, get into. And all something one day I get called up to the big office and said, you're no longer doing networking and telephones. You are now doing classroom support and AV. I've never touched AV in my life. And then I got into programming for AV and I became like the in-house programmer for us. I, I did that for let's say six, seven years. And uh, I got involved with HEPMA. I write for the higher ed digital magazine, uh, the IT and AV column. And now I'm a associate director of uh, AV services for the School of Medicine at UNLV. Fantastic. See, this is what we do. Like I'm on Ask the Programmer and IT Factor, and I just made the hosts introduce themselves. I mean, y'all have been doing this for like 
90 odd 90 plus episodes it's nice to remind your viewers how amazing you are and um, it's an honor to be on this together i'm frank patakala i work at oddnate i'm a technical sales engineer and i talk a lot of it right and it factor uh, the the whole point behind it factor was just a knowledge share of the different technologies that we call it right it's it is not just networking it's not just databases it's not security i believe it's this this big blanket of technologies of which av is a part of and we all share the same platform we share the same goals we have this similar production cycles challenges pains uh there are nuances there are differences but it's all it's all it right and it's it's great to have these amazing people on there now we had a bunch of things that we wanted to talk about as basically continuing from where we were last time but you know um i just want to kick things off by and i and i'll say this right steve is amazing in that within the av industry which is a which was traditionally a hardware-dominated industry, which I don't think is the case anymore. I'd like to say that software is slowly creeping in and taking over. I want to be positive like that. Uh, Steve created an organization that focuses on software development and API integration. Steve, what's that journey been like? Like, what's let's talk about the programming knowledge that you know you had to acquire or the type of people that you had like well how did you build this like how did you come up with this idea what what was the what's the origin story in uh the beginning it was about supply and demand uh there there was not enough programmers and and a big need for for programming and and uh the, i've always tried to approach programming with more of a, a custom perspective of how can we do this in a way that is going to be most beneficial to the people using it that's going to address a need. And that was just, it, it was just obvious to me and inherent rather than just trying to get projects done, how can we do it with a little bit of extra care and finesse and, and a little bit more hands-on. And, and that's really what I based my business on when I first started. And, and over the years, there's been a lot of progression. Um, programming's changed. In the beginning, it was very much the the magic behind the scenes that made uh, systems work. And I'm talking about starting out in the 90s doing this. And, and over time, systems have become simpler. Programming has become more uh, of, a, of a focus in some regard. We, we were big into graphics at some point. And, and then we, we've um, gotten to a time now where there's been more of a rise in configurable solutions, um, no code required. Some ways, the the 80% of systems are done probably without custom programming. So what I saw there, and, and, and this came with the addition of who Jeff Mackey, who's now our CTO, is um, how do we take modern programming and bring it to the AV space? And and that started 12 years ago, and we really basically found the niche in, in writing modules, drivers, middleware, connectors to be able to make programmers' lives easier because this, what this does is it makes products easier to work with because it takes an API and makes it into something a programmer understands. And for those who um, want just, just to clarify API, the term application programming interface, it's basically the language that a product talks and the way you communicate with it. But that's not something that the, every programmer is comfortable with. So we saw a gap there and that that's really where we focused but 
honestly, more than the technical challenges has been learning to manage a team, learning to build business, learning to do all the things that make a business work, because that that's what, what I've had to mature to understand and, and master over the years. That's amazing. And I think like, I think one of the things that we wanted to talk about in this episode was like how things were moving towards the software side of things. And we're talking to someone who did this when things weren't moving to the software side of things and very much so keeping to the hardware and, you know, it's like, let's not do that. You know, why do we need to write so much code kind of thing? It's, it's, it's amazing. So James, you have a similar story, right? I mean, you came from IT and you had that IT background. You wanted to work on the networks. Uh, how do you feel things have moved? I mean, I have some thoughts on this too, uh, but I'll ask you first, like, where do you think we've moved to? Like, how do, how has, uh, you know, that move from, hardware to software where do you think it happened in the av industry uh, i think it's almost everywhere in the av industry now that software is becoming critical um we can spin up a virtual machine and have virtual control going you don't have to go around and put a control processor in every single room you can throw this into your data center and have you know, your node and get into a common IT ecosystem and language of talking about endpoints and nodes. And instead of going, oh, I have an AV device that's on the network, we can just say, hey, I have a node on the network and I'm using my virtual processor with my control uh, software, my program I wrote. I have one central location, one central uh, point where I can get write my code instead of saying, all right, I got to write this program for room A, B, C, and D. Now I have to write the code for one room, put it on my central processor in my data center, and I can control all those rooms. So now those rooms, just they're not islands anymore. They're part of the full ecosystem, and I can do manipulate them how I see fit that fits the needs of the university and the students. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 amazing. And my thoughts on that are very similar too. There's always been software in the AV industry. It's just that we, like Steve mentioned before, it's always been that behind the scenes piece where you know people just know it's there, it's doing something. Well, basically, it does a lot. It makes everything work the way it should. But I think what has happened is that people are now leveraging the massive power of what is programming. Because again, programming, when you look at it, it's not a single tool, right? It's very similar to like, how does one become an AV engineer, right? AV designer? You can't just know audio and become a successful AV engineer. You need to know audio and video and control and, you know, a little bit of architecture and heck HVAC. And, you know, you might need to know all kinds of things depending on the particular vertical you're a part of. Programming is like that too, right? It's it's components, it's pieces. Um, you know, I've, I'm pretty sure, and again, I, I don't want it to sound like I'm essentially taking over and ask the programmer episode, but, you know, I'm really curious to learn from Steve. Uh, you, you, Steve, you've done the coding in the 90s, right? And even, you know, AV had a certain type of programming. You've done it in the 2000s. You are doing it 2010. And there's been an evolution for you. Like, how do you think it's different? Like what was programming in AV in the nineties? Like what was, so if I wanted to become an AV programmer in the nineties, 
how would I do that? Like what skills did I need to have? So the programming in the nineties was very rudimentary. It was very much um, connect an action to a, uh, a, a stimulus. So you press a button and it makes something happen. And there was a lot of that. There was a lot of how, how do I, it's almost like universal remote control where mm. you're trying to just bring all of the functions together in, in one interface. And, and that was, that's where it started. It, it was some way of being able to say that I didn't have to go to press buttons on a whole bunch of different, either remotes or products to be able to get the outcome I'm looking for. And then, then we started to add in a little bit of, of logic and, and, um, a little bit of, of stepped functions. And then from there, it started to, to turn into um, a little bit of automation and then it, it grew. And, and now we've gotten to a point where we have to look at how, how do we write code that has a, uh, that, that can have longevity and that can be scalable and that can be easy to maintain. And um, what, one thing that it was always a challenge was that when, somebody asked for a change, you didn't want to have to rewrite your whole code because one thing that we all know about AV systems is, is that they're always going to change. And I <laughs> learned that very early in my career that nothing is ever done. And if it is, then it probably wasn't really satisfying the need. So we, so code is the most fluid part of, of a project because as you've said all the time, um, there. The, that's the part that people think can change at will. And we said that in the previous episode. So right now it's source code maintenance, it's version control. We have to start thinking about projects more from the perspective of a software developer rather than a technician who just tried to get a project done in the field. And, um, and, and I think that that's the main difference in what we're seeing. Um, there, there, there's a lot of uh, needs that have change te technology wise because there some have gotten more simple and some have gotten more advanced but um the the main thing is is how do, how do we write code and 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 how do we have a lot more respect for what code is yeah that's 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 amazing and here's the funny thing everything that steve said if you take out the words code and programming from it and replace it with HDMI or a uh, signal flow, the same things apply to any AV install, right? It's that's how we need that design process in programming too. We need that life cycle, right? There's, it's not a, it's not a single step. Programming is a part that comes live the day you get a project. It's not something that comes at the end of the project. It's not something, it needs to be an evolving process that starts with the project and ends with the project, the entire life cycle. So I love that. I love that. I love that perspective on it. And I think it's helpful today that there's so much movement to the software side of things, right? I think the chip shortages have hastened things a little bit. You know, I think it's for the good. Right. I'm one of those people that, you know, I, 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 it's, it's difficult. A lot of people are having challenges every day. Lead times are not friendly. You know, it's, there's a, there's so much happening out there, but the fact that that has pushed us to innovate and see where we can leverage software solutions. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking 
uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I work at Audinate, you know, but uh, the one of the things that we also realize that, all right, you got to understand that people need options, which is why we like invested into developing software-based Dante and and not just the software. Like when I say software, I think every listener and viewer will think about that process where they're double clicking on an exe file and installing something on windows that's not just that's not so, that's not the only software right software is everywhere we're talking about things that run embedded on chips we're thinking about middleware and apis that connect things you know there's there's so many different software tools so people have been using embedded dante to make regular devices into Dante devices, you know, and now you can, so we're leveraging FPGAs, we're leveraging existing chip technologies to implement AV solutions. So we're at that point where software, we don't technically need a box anymore. And I think James brought that up in his conversation, you know, with virtual platforms, with data centers, you don't really need boxes everywhere. You know, you can centralize a lot of these things. You can manage. And isn't that like the whole beauty of it? Like, James, you you work at UNLV, a large network. You know, we work together on some things. You know, I know there's a lot of Dante there as well. Um, isn't that great? Like the fact that you can centrally monitor things. Like, how does that help? Like, how does good programming help make your life make your life easy in, in, in your day job? Oh, having a central location is easy and nice because... It gives you one point to go to. When there's an issue, you know where you're going to and where you're going to troubleshoot. And especially when you put it in a data center, you can throw a lot of backups to it. And IT is all about backups. And like, you know, you can throw your data center, you can have a backup generator on there. So now you lose power. You don't lose control. Control. You You still have, yes. Yeah, I love that. But now, because this is a crossover, I have a question for you going yeah, off of your whole <laughs> background of having a master's in security, cybersecurity. How are you seeing now that we are becoming integrated where we are no longer on an Island, we are the central location. How are you seeing the impact of security in AV and especially programming? Ooh, uh, <laughs> good question. <laughs> you know, uh, I feel like, AV, we're like those, we're like those kids that have to be dragged by their feet to get somewhere. It was just, you know, I know you don't want to go there, but you you're going there. You know, it was just, you know, get into the car. There's no, this is your journey. And I don't think any person in AV adopted security willingly, other than the few of us who are actually people who are advocating for it. Outside of that, it's didn't happen by choice. But you know what? Uh doesn't matter how we got there as long as we're getting there you know uh we'll just forget the part that this was a painful journey of lots of tears and sorrow and pain and blood and sweat and all that right we'll just just forget that part but here's the thing our technologies are now mainstream so to speak we're not on an island we are using uh the enterprise network we're using public internet we're using software technologies that other people know so if if we've developed a linux based app or a Linux-based tool. It's Linux-based. There's people outside AV who can understand that as well. It's not not all of a sudden, hey, you don't get it because you're not an AV. They'll be like, yeah, I don't get what it does. I don't understand the audio settings, but I understand what it do what is what it's doing. It's a Linux thing. I know that. I'm a, I've been doing Linux for a decade. So now because our industry has gone into those areas where 
there's so much exposure, security has become a concern, right? And I think, you know, for that matter, manufacturers are doing a great job of trying to push their devices more and more towards security and implementing security processes into their boxes, implementing secure connections, you know, having them pen tested. There's a lot of movement there. I think the next phase of it is having practitioners, right? We don't have a lot of security practitioners in the AV industry. There are generally some things we do, but not because, you know, we want to do it. It's because, you know, the last project you had was a government agency and they said that you're not going to get this project unless you do this. It's basically forced to do the security part of it. But you know what? If you've done it at one point and if you've touched on security, don't back away from it because you're not going to a time when you don't need security. That's never going to happen. You know, as we go every day that passes, AV is going to become more intertwined with security. And it's important to understand that we don't need to become a security architect. We don't need to become a, a, a hacker or, a, you know, an ethical hacker. We don't need to understand security to the point where you know, we're doing threat analysis and all of that. But when you're talking to those people, know how to respond to them. Very similar to how we did it when we first talked to networking people, which we still don't do very well, in my opinion, but, you know, it's getting there. Um, or architects, which I think we do a great job of coordinating with. It's just another part of the organizational structure that you now have to coordinate with. So have the language ready, have the documentation ready, use your manufacturers as resources, find those people that can give you the, you know, your your main tips and Build a process. It, it you're not technology. That's you know good or bad. That's the challenge of technology, right? You got to keep reinventing yourself. You got to learn new things all the time. So, yesterday it was networking. Today it's security. It's just another part of IT that you got to do with it. But you know, great question, James. Thanks for that. Thank you. Those are some yeah, of the I mean, types uh, of the topics that we talk about here on uh, Ask the Programmer. So, um, thank thank you for. Uh, sharing that with our audience, Frank. And I, and I know that your, your, your show is very much cent centered around um, the, the IT side of AV. Can you share a little bit about the show with our audience? Yeah, absolutely. So it's like, again, I believe that IT is this big technology blanket. So I try to touch on all kinds of topics. So we've, we've had an episode about AI, we talk about entrepreneurship, you know, you know, Steve, you were kind enough to be on that episode. Uh, we know we talk about networking, we've had, we've had a crossover episode with, you know, other network engineering podcasts. So we try to keep it different. And we try to touch on the different topics. And I'm glad we're talking programming today. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, Actually, not one of those things that have been a, a direct part of the conversation. Uh, so people who are listening, I do hope you go and check out Ask the Programmer because there's a lot of resources there. Uh, but, you know, that's that's kind of what we do. We try to educate. And I think the goal here is to kind of break down the barriers in your mind of, hey, this is a completely different thing. Uh, I can never become an AV professional. We have HR people in AV. Are they not a part of AV? They are a part of AV, accounting people. They're also, you know, if you're talking about a vertical, about an industry, AV is that big industry. There are all kinds of people that make our day-to-day -day lives better, right? So let's not just put up these barriers and say, hey, you, you know, you, you don't get AV. Everybody can get AV. Everybody has done AV, like at a different level. You have a phone, you're using audiovisual technologies every day. You know, it's, it's, we're all doing it at different levels. So let's be more inclusive. Let's be open to that. And that's kind of what we do here at the show, just try to break down those barriers. But, you know, thanks for asking the question, Steve. I appreciate it. 
too. Absolutely. And yeah. no, it's a good, good way of putting it because I, I think I've seen a lot of people in this industry that are very passionate and are not the technical people. Like you said, they have the people who could be in the accounting side, they could be in the finance and the business and the in, in operations. They don't necessarily have to be have have any knowledge of the uh, nuts and bolts of what we do, but they still have an investment and a passion for what we do. And and honestly, that that could make this a little bit more special because an outsider's view, uh, if it's received well, can can always bring a new perspective. So I. I appreciate that. And I, I, I always say, I don't know another industry like ours that offers that type of camaraderie and that, that people are so drawn to and that you can make a difference um, just as an individual. So that's, uh, it's pretty neat. Yeah. I love that. And I love that. You know, it's, it's, it's really that I like that commonality that we all have and that we share a passion for an industry. It makes things so much easier. And, you know, we talked about this during the first episode uh, and about, you know, my work on the diversity side of things and just trying to bring awareness there. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, I'm happy that we're the challenges that we're facing. There are several challenges, of course, but at the end of the day, there's still a lot of good and there's a lot of common ground that we have. Our shared passion of this industry helps bring things together, you know, and I think, uh, we are ready for that next phase because technologies are moving towards the software side of things. Uh, we're using the networks more. We're using virtualization more, more data centers, more cloud-based platforms. People are leveraging it. It's not a fad. You know, it's this is not like uh, that 3D TV that nobody liked. You know, this is these are foundational technologies that can alter the way you do business. Right? Like as an example. We do a lot of cloud-based technologies on the broadcast side, an industry that's as traditional and as, you know, as rule-bound, as standards-based as it gets. And even they realize that, hey, there's something to be said about cloud technologies because the internet is not what, what it was in the 90s. It was not what it was in the 2000s. The internet's changed. Cloud platforms have changed. You know, just the fact that, you know, it's it's funny. I mean, I, I was, uh, so I play a lot of games on the Oculus and, you know, I like the VR. I really like it. And there was an update to a game that I play and I hadn't played that game in about six months, right? Because, you know, I cycled through other games and I went back to it. The updates were phenomenal, you know? And I thought, wow, your developers have put so much time that in the last six months, the graphics, it's the same device that I'm using. I didn't change my device, but the game looks completely different, right? And I'm just saying this for context. That's what programming does for you, right? You don't have to go about changing your boxes anymore if you can advance the things behind the scenes, make leverage the technology and the capabilities that are already there. And if anything, we have a problem with waste in this industry. Like we buy so many boxes, you know, this, that software defined world gives you the opportunity to leverage the power of your hardware and keep improving on it using software. That's how it was always meant to be. I'm glad we're slowly shifting in that direction. It was forced again. It was forced because people didn't find the boxes they needed. And they thought, all right, how am I going to work around this? And they realized that, hey, let me do the software. But I can assure you there's, at least a few engineers out there, a few salespeople out there who are saying to themselves, hey, this is not too bad. I could keep doing this. You know, I can keep designing around software. Well, and if you're not thinking like that, you should, because it's it's a it's a valid part of our industry. And, and Steve, like I'm curious, right? Your your company has been through all these phases, right? 
what is business today for you? Has it changed much? I mean, do you like, is it like, is there like a, are you so busy that you don't, you barely don't have time to <laughs> take these calls anymore? <laughs> you should well, be. I think you should. <laughs> so, so busy. Yes. But, but I, I would say my bank account might say otherwise, but that's besides <laughs> the point. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah. I mean, busy because, uh, because I, I want to be involved and I want to be doing things. Um, you know, business is still something that that's a challenge because, because you, you want to be able to really differentiate yourself and, and, you know, it's not a race to the bottom. It's trying to get value for your time. So that's yes. always something that you have to be very, very careful about, but it's, um, it, it's trying to get people to understand what we do and why it's important and, and what it costs to be able to employ talented people. And, and that's, that's a lot of the challenge of business these days is that in order to be able to get quality, you have to ha have quality people that want to make a good living. And that then corresponds to what you charge and the industry needs to see value in what you provide. So it's kind of that full circle um, that, that that's really uh, probably the, the thing that I try to um, wave the flag the most about and and you know James and I have talked a lot about you know the pay pay grade in in our industry versus under other industries and I think that that has a lot to do with it. Yeah. So I mean as Steve mentioned we talked about the value the value we bring and I, I think you kind of hit it earlier probably in the first episode we did with you Frank is code is not seen. Users don't understand, they don't see our code. So we're just a line item and they're like, why are we paying for this? It, <laughs> I kind of, I, I was thinking of, you ever seen Seinfeld? And it's like the skit he does about the check. Like, you know, you order all this food, you, you have a good old time and then you're done eating and the check comes and you're like, wait, is this right? Why am I paying? I, I'm not hungry now. Same thing with program. It's like the hardware's <laughs> installed. All the, the all the fun stuff is done. It's and you're looking you're like, wait, wait, wait. My project's done. Why am I paying for this? Program? I feel some trauma there. You know, <laughs> like I can feel your pain. <laughs> I feel this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, luckily my role is always paid for programming or not because I work for higher ed. I do more than just programming. That's true. Um, but I, I could see that, especially like Steve's company, who's a third-party programming company that does the APIs that are so critical for someone like me who working in higher ed. I'm not running the APIs all the time. I'm using the uh, APIs that a company like Steve's is doing. Um, but I also want to hit up on another question. And I'm actually going for the out to both Frank and Steve. And you hit it on there, Frank, about the update to your software on the Osclid. And you're like, wow, this is great. But that goes against what old AV guards are. Is we don't update. If it works, you don't touch it. But how critical are updates for Steve with programming and Frank, you on the IT side? I'll let Steve I'll go first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you want me to. Well, you know, the, this is, I think, what's going to increase the longevity of what we do, and and it's and and I think what Frank said earlier is is a critical point, and and I think that I'm so 
so happy to see our industry moving in this direction of not having to replace hardware every time somebody wants something different. It's always been that this doesn't work, rip it out, put something else in new. I mean, I've seen that for so many years and, and there's only a small percentage of the time, it's very small, that that's necessary. Uh, I'm talking something that is really antiquated, but we, we always could have made something work if it was done right, or if time was taken to figure out how to fix it. And the reason why neither of those um, uh, are, are typically, uh, neither of those paths are typically pursued is because of the effort that goes into it and because it, the money is not in it for the company that is being hired. They wanted to sell hardware, um, but it's so, I think, valuable right now for people in our position and also for the industry to, to look at how do we use software to evolve and how can we, th this is our entry point into recurring revenue. This is our entry point into being able to develop partnerships so that we can keep, keep uh, evolving and keep um, iterating so that we, we can pr provide better products that we can, and for, for people, uh, for, for higher ed, I think this is critical. Now, you, if, if during the summer, all you had to do is do software upgrades instead of having to buy and install uh, so many different systems, that would save a ton of time and also probably ad address a lot of pain points that have to happen in that summer break. So, I, I mean, to me, I think this is the direction that the industry is going. And like Frank said earlier, the, there's a lot of people that are going to try to hold on with for dear life to the old model. But this, to me, is the model that we need to be pursuing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the whole concept of don't touch it if it's not broken and all that, it's a very uh, antiquated way of looking at things. I think what's happened is like we've we've grown so accustomed to hardware practices and this the cabling of it. There's always an extra layer of scrutiny associated with anything on the software side, right? Uh, it, we almost say, think that there's no downtime when you do hardware. It's like, yeah, hardware never, I've never had that problem. Sure you did. It's just that you knew how to fix it. You know, you knew what to do to fix it. You never, that's the challenge. So what we're dealing with is not a, uh, a quality issue with software-based solutions. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't half-baked solutions that get out there. It's all part of it. I, I will completely acknowledge that there are several solutions that were not done the right way or not enough R&D or Q&A went into it. And, you know, it just got out into the market. But for, for the general products that are out there on the software side, there's a lot of capabilities associated with it. It's just that we, the practitioners or the users, don't have enough of a knowledge base to com to comfortably troubleshoot that. Our tier one support is a little lacking and struggling there. Whereas on the hardware side, we know what to do. Like it's, yeah, I'll pull out this cable, I'll put it back in, it should work. That will happen though. That learning curve will happen at some point the more we leverage this. And hence the importance of maintaining software-based solutions, right? It's a more scalable way of dealing with it. But if you want to leverage the capabilities of software, like I said before, it needs to be a part of your design process. A lot of times... I've had programmers who write code for a certain project 
and they keep adding pieces to it, right? I'm sure any programmer listening to this has just had like a, a little, you know, a gut punch as I said this, because this is probably what you're dealing with right now, right? In which you're rewriting code because somebody added something and the engineer or the other people on the project, the stakeholders think it's just a couple lines of code. I've had, I, I remember several years ago, I was talking to a programmer after a project and they said, this is the worst code that I've written. And I told him why. And, and this person said, I've been writing and rewriting code so many times. I don't even know where things are buried in this code. Does it all work? Yes, it works. But six months from now, if you call me to update this, I'm going to struggle with this, right? And it was a valid concern. So I was the engineer. Fortunately, I had some say in the project with the consultant and it wasn't a rush project, so there was time. So I said, look, you do acknowledge that we've you've been adding things, right? You've added this, this, this. And I gave them a list. And our programmer is struggling with the additions. Today, he's developed code that works, but six, from, six months from now, you're gonna run into trouble. So I recommend that you give the program an opportunity to rewrite, clean up the entire code, give them an extra week. It's gonna be a change order. We're gonna charge you for this, but you will have a better written code that is more scalable. And you know what? Couple of meetings, it was approved. They saw the reason behind it and they rewrote the code and the programmer said, it's the first time in my life where I was able to fix something. And I know six months from now, if this becomes a service call, I know what to do. Because a lot of times this is what happens. We don't invest into it. It's because there was a there was a champion in the process who understood there was a couple of people who realized that, hey, there's some point, there's a, there's a fact to this. You can't do that if you think that programming is just a couple of lines of code. That's not how programming works. It's a, there's a, it's a, it's a difficult practice. There are, there's an entire industry out there of developers. There's the whole, the whole world is like some form of a programmer. IT is all software developers. We're taking a small subset of very smart people from that industry and turning them into AV programmers. And we're giving them the worst possible working conditions. You know, uh, don't do that. They'll leave. They're smart people. They can get a job anywhere. They're, they literally can get a job anywhere. You know, they're, they're developers. Developers will always be in demand. So please be nice to your programmer. You know, if, please be kind to them. Understand that they have input. Ask them things, not the day before something's getting installed. Give them some time, you know, it, it, put that, bake that into your project cycle and you'll have a successful project. Steve, do you, did you not like that? I thought, you know, I was, I was very passionate about advocating for programmers right there. <laughs> well, I, I, I couldn't have asked for more than that. And, and it's probably a good place for us to, to wrap this one up. You know, all good things come to an end, but that that's exactly why we, we do this podcast. And that's exactly the type of mindset. So how do we get more people like you? on our side and, and enlist that, that those types of perspectives, because I've been trying for my whole career to, to be able to create awareness. Well, you're, you're, you're already there and with a great podcast, with some great messaging and a lot of great guests, you know, and hopefully we'll just keep on working until somebody hears us and they say, you know, you, they can't be wrong. They have a point, you know, and somebody will listen to us eventually. Wonderful. Well, I'm going to um, let, let them, James, give his last words and, and wrap up, and then I'll let you, uh, Frank, wrap up the episode for uh, 
the IT factor as we wrap up a state of uh, the, I'm sorry, ask the programmer. So many podcasts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All, all the podcasts. All so, the podcasts. Uh, um, James, um, any last thoughts and how can people get in touch with you and learn what you're up to? Uh, the last thoughts, I, I think this is great. And I, the only thing I want to add, I, I, I'm glad I, heard, I hear someone like Frank in his position, engineer advocating for programmers. Uh, the only thing I want to add to that is this, us programmers need to be brought in early on this thing, especially in higher education, because Frank's project there had the ability to add that time frame. But as we say in higher education, classes start when classes start. I can't add time. You need to be done. Um, so bringing the programmer in early and hammering out all those details, those bugs, and making sure that 6, 12, 18 months down the road that you can make those changes without adding support is vital. Um, so that's my closing thoughts. And this is a great one. And you can find me on Twitter, AB underscore James King. I'm on LinkedIn. I don't do it much, but I'm, I'm there. I write for the digital magazine, Higher Edge, Higher Head AV magazine, uh, the IT and AV column that comes out monthly, board member for HEPMA. And again, you Google me, you'll find me. Thank you. That's wonderful. Um, Frank, thank you so much for allowing us to be on the IT Factor Um why don't you uh, share with our audience how to learn more about the IT factor and also wrap up your episode before, as we wrap up ours. Sure. Uh, so if you want to reach me, I'm uh, on the socials at Frank Pedica on Twitter and Instagram. You can also reach me on LinkedIn. Uh, so the IT factor is all about IT conversations. I appreciate the both of you coming together you know we came and did this amazing crossover episode i think is amazing uh, thank you for all the knowledge that you've shared with the audience here and you know we hope to do more of these as we try to spread the word of you know uh it it's important that people understand that we're part of something bigger than we were and as we grow and adopt we need to evolve as well so hopefully the lessons that we're talking about here uh, just, you know, it, it inspires you to say that, hey, there is a there's a new path here. Programming is approachable. It's doable. There's outlets. There's a way of ways of learning programming. There's plenty of resources out there. Reach out to any of us and we'll be more than happy to help out. So uh, thank you again for the opportunity. Thank you, Frank. And uh, to find the IT factor, uh, go to avnation.tv. Um, you can find that as well as the podcast that I'm involved in with Rich Fergoza uh, called The State of Control. He was a past uh, guest on Ask the Programmer as well, but uh, that wonderful network of great content there. And, and uh, thanks, Frank, for allowing us to speak to, with your audience and, uh, and be a part of your show. Um, for, for me, you could reach me at Steve Greenblatt on social media. Um, you can reach my company, Control Concepts, at controlconcepts.net. Um, I also do a little bit of writing for various uh, publications in the industry, but I would uh, really enjoy if um, both audiences got to know each other and we supported each other. And please check out both of these podcasts in your favorite podcast player. Ask the programmers on YouTube as well. And um, 
we, we would really like to hear from you um, as the programmers approaching uh, episode 100. So that's going to be a big milestone for us, almost two years of doing this weekly. So that's been uh, really great. And we're, we're looking to build more community and knowledge and awareness around programming. And with that, this has been Ask the Programmer.